15. John 15. So right uh, toward the beginning of the New Testament, where um, if you have a Bible or if you want to click there, but if not, I will have the passages on the screen. So just so you know, uh, you'll be able to follow along. Uh, before we get, uh, I know you're kind of searching for that, but while you're doing that, I just like to pray just myself and just ask uh, that God would speak to us, uh, speak from his word, and just um, encourage our hearts as we finish up this uh, friendship series today. So let's pray together. God, we are, we are grateful that we can be in your presence together. We are grateful for the God that you are. We're grateful for your love that you express and show toward us, God. We are grateful for the, the manner in which you love us, the manner in which you care about us, the example that you set, and how we can love and care for one another. And so I pray you would encourage us within that this morning. I pray that you would fashion and mold this church community more into your image based on what you say to us through your word this morning. I pray, Spirit, you would speak, that you would encourage, you would challenge, you would move. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about friendship. We've been in this series called Not Alone. Uh, we were created to be in friendship, not to be in isolation, but to have genuine connections which help us to be better, and the church should be a place where spiritual friendships can thrive. Uh, we talked about needing to navigate friendships wisely, trying to avoid foolishness, but surrounding ourselves with people that we can catch godliness from. And we talked about the fact that we need to welcome and anticipate conflict, to move toward it rather than avoid it, to work through it so that we can be stronger with one another. As we get into this, it's clear, and as we've gotten into this, it's been clear that we have a great need for relationships, for other people. But at the same time, it's also been clear that our relationships aren't always perfect. They can let us down. And even at times, they can hurt us. I think simply we've realized, especially as we've talked through this, that friendship can be hard. We long for community. We long for connection. We long for friendship. But even the best of relationships can still leave our hearts wanting or skeptical of how long the good lasts. And so it's, it can be hard. C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. But on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy of or echo, a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. Now, it's easy to take these insights from Lewis and apply them to tangible things that we pursue. Our money, 401k, adult toys that we want to buy, um, our job status. It's easy to 
think he's only talking about that stuff. But his words are really powerful when we also consider them against the idea of friendship. We have connections, but we desire something deeper. We have friendships, but they only suggest what our hearts long for. We have relationships, but we must keep alive the desire for who we were created for. Really what he's saying, what Lewis is saying, echoes what Augustine said long ago, our hearts are restless until they can rest in you, O God. Yes, we were created to be not alone, made with a need for others. But this reality is only an echo, a sampling of the greater truth. We were made to be in relationship with God. We, our hearts long for him. And no relationship that we find on earth will satisfy the relationship we were made to be in with him. Not only is he the true friend we ultimately desire, but our friendship with him is what guides us in all of our friendships. God is our greatest need. And so Jesus says in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father loved me, the love the Father has for Jesus is special. It's intimate. It's perfect. John talks about this actually multiple times in his gospel. For, for example, in chapter 3, he records Jesus saying, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Twice in John 14, Jesus says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Complete and total connection. Constant presence and availability. Never-ending care and joy and peace with one another and experience together. Their love is perfect. Sometimes we see posts on social media like, you some, find, find yourself someone who looks at you the way so-and-so looks at this. If you haven't seen those, let me give you a couple examples. For, here's one. Find someone who looks at you the way Michael Scott looks at Jim and Pam. Now, if you, you're not going to get that if you haven't seen The Office, and so that's what you need to do is go see The Office. Next one. Find someone who looks at you the way Elon Musk looks at his rockets. I don't know if that's good or bad or not, but next one. Find someone who looks at you like Roger looks at a barbecue. That one we can relate to. And I had to throw this one in for myself. Find someone who looks at you the way Baby Yoda looks at this lever. And so find someone who looks at you the way so-and-so. When we think about the ultimate expression of love, if we think about the love that we're longing for, then look to the Father and the Son. There, there is no one other love that compares. There is nothing that competes. There, we will not find a love like theirs anywhere. Their love is perfect. And Jesus tells us that he loves us with that love. With the love that the Father and the Son have for one another, Jesus loves us in that way. All that is true about their love 
He directs to us. He directs to us. God loves you. The most basic, core, and vital of truths. God loves you. His love for you never changes. His love for you never ceases. We cannot do anything to cause him to love us less or to stop loving us. We cannot do anything to impress him into loving us more because he loves you perfectly. And so he says, I have loved you this way. Now remain in my love. Stay put within my love. Don't move away or stray from my love. Keep yourself within my love. Now, Jesus isn't telling us to quarantine within his love. We're completely sick of that concept and we don't even want to go there. That's not what he's talking about. No, it's different. Imagine if in life it was always raining, that the rain never ceased. It might be a drizzle in some moments. It might be a raging storm in others, but it's always raining. Jesus' love is an umbrella. Jesus' love covers us. We are cared for. We are protected by his presence, by his care, by his teaching, by his provision. His love covers us. But the reality is, is that even though we are under him, we're covered by him, we're protected by him, within his presence, within the storm, we are prone to wander. In fact, that's how one old hymn puts the truth very clearly. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And it is so true. We are more prone to remove ourselves from him, wander on our own, than to stay within the influence and covering of his love for us. I mean, yeah, it's fun to dance in the rain. Yeah, for a little bit, that's going to be great. But eventually, you're going to feel the reality of life. And the shivering will happen. The cold will happen. And we realize we should have just stayed with him the whole time. His love covers us, protects us. And he says, remain in my love. As I've loved you, stay within this love. Well, knowing that we're prone to wonder, wander, Jesus describes for us what remaining in his love looks like. The first thing that he points out is this. He tells us to remain in his love faithfully. Remain in his love faithfully. Be obedient to his loving ways. It says in verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, first things first. What is this not saying? It is not saying that you can lose God's love. It is not saying we need to walk on eggshells and after one failure, God is going to stop loving us and give us the boot. No, that's not what it's alluding to here. Think about it like this. When a couple gets married, they exchange wedding vows with one another. This is not just an arbitrary part of the service. This is the part of the service. This is the central part of the service. The vows are defining the relationship. 
It's the moment of communicating to one another how we'll live toward one another, how we will be in this relationship, how we are going to live one to another. Take that idea to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is continually taught what life in God's kingdom was like. He wasn't just giving a to-do list. He was describing a people. He was communicating what living out the kingdom looked like. And so when somebody begins a relationship with God, they're entering a new life. It is a commitment of a heart. It's going into a new way of life, just like the way exchanging vows with somebody changes everything. And so when a couple remains faithful to their vows, they are remaining in their love for one another. It isn't simply don't cheat on one another, and it's simply not complete this list, even though those are obviously part of it. It's no, be the person we committed to one another that we were going to be. Be the person you committed yourself to be. Be the relationship, part of this relationship that we committed to. Keep my commandments. Be a faithful follower. Be the kingdom person I have made you to be, restored you to be. And the thing we have to realize is that the things that Jesus has set out for us, the teachings that we are to emulate and conform to, are based on his loving character. They emulate the love between him and the Father. They are good, and they are for our good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Only those who believe obey. And only those who obey believe. What is his point here within this? Well, being a Christian is not simply saying a prayer. It is taking on a new life. That is the idea of the first part. We are taking on a new life. But the second part of this is that being a Christian is not simply completing a religious list. It is a heart commitment. It is a relationship, one that we are committing to. To follow Jesus is having a love for Jesus seen through our desire to live as he loves us. And so remain in his love faithfully. How do you see your interactions with Jesus? Are you trying to impress him by completing a bunch of tasks? He, he doesn't get impressed. He already loves you perfectly. We don't do the things that we do to impress God. We do the things we do because we love God and we are grateful for all that he's given us and the life that he's given us. Are you feeling shame because of not completing certain things or having certain struggles? That isn't coming from God. He does not shame us. He comes to us understanding and anticipating our brokenness, frailty, and weaknesses. He comes to us with grace and mercy, and patience. And so we can come to him real and honest, and he forgives and guides us. Jesus loves you. You can't change that. You can't improve that. And you can't lose that. So faithfully stay in his love. Faithfully stay in his love. The second thing that he tells us is to remain in his love sacrificially. Remain in his love sacrificially. 
His love for us shows us how to love one another. It says in verse 12, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. At first, Jesus is talking in plurals. Keep my commands. But here, he hits the singular. My command is this. This is what it comes down to. If remaining in Jesus is the source of our love, that which defines our identity in life, then that love is going to be evidenced in us, seen as real about us, in how we love one another. Last week, I jokingly told people to check for a pulse. If you have a pulse, then that means that you're alive. Well, it's, it's actually as simple as that when it comes to faith as well. You loving other people is the checking for a pulse if your faith is alive. Are we loving one another? That shows our faith. And the greatest expression of love in part of this culture was to give yourself for somebody else. But man, loving one another that way is not easy, is it? I think if we were honest, we can say at times that can be hard for all of us. The quote that I shared last week applies here also, the Lewis quote, we are all fallen creatures and all very hard to live with. We are all frail, we are all weak, we all struggle, we all hurt, and we all cause hurt. And we are all called to exchange love with people who aren't always good at loving. But I think the reason why this can be hard for us at times is because we are basing how we act toward one another on the actions of another. They did this. This happened. You're like this. But Jesus doesn't tell us to love based on how other people act. He tells us to love others based on how he acts. Others don't set the example or pattern of what to do. Jesus does. Well, what does that look like for us then? Well, Jesus gave of himself regardless of all our vices, fallenness, weakness, weaknesses, and sin. In fact, Jesus loves us within our vices, within our weaknesses, our fallenness, and sin. But we typically operate differently. We cling to ourselves when it comes to loving people. I'll show you love if you're not struggling. I'll show you love if you've been nice to me or if you've been nice to my friends. I'll show you love if you haven't done me wrong, if you haven't criticized me, if you don't make me uncomfortable, if you agree with me. I'll show you love if you're not depressed or you're not anxious. I'll show you love if you voted the way that I did. If no skeletons have come out of your closet, I'll give you love. I'll show you love if you are like me. 
But this is not the pattern or the example that Jesus gave us. Jesus loved the one he knew would betray him. The one he knew that would deny him. Jesus loved the one who took advantage of people. The one who others rejected. Jesus loved the one who kept messing up. The one who was unclean. Jesus loved the one who didn't agree with him. He loved the one who caused harm to others. Jesus loved the one that everyone knew was guilty. Jesus loved the one who whipped him and punched him. Those who nailed him to the cross. Jesus loved all of us that he went to the cross for. But Oh man, it is hard to love like Jesus. It is hard, it can be hard if we've been hurt a lot. It can be hard to love like Jesus if we're insecure. It can be hard if we are holding on to bitterness. It can be hard if we avoid conflict. It can be hard if we overfeel things. It can be hard if we overthink things. It can be hard if we're a perfectionist. It can be hard if we haven't experienced love. It can be hard if we try to love as we normally would rather than how he shows us to. I have to be honest, I really stink at this sometimes. I'm giving you the message that I need to hear majorly. This is a struggle at times. And I would bet for some of you it's a struggle for you as well. And you might resonate with one of the reasons why it can be a struggle. Henry Nouwen said this, Love is based on the mutuality of the confession of our total self in each other. This makes us free to declare not only my strength is your strength, but also your pain is my pain. Your weakness is my weakness. Your sin is my sin. It is in this intimate fellowship of the weak that love is born. Man, the last line of that quote is worth the price of admission. It is in the intimate fellowship of the weak that love is born. We need to get to the point with friends where we can share the ugliness as well as the beauty. Where we can share the biggest defeats as well as the celebrations. As now and said, the more we intentionally do the hard work of being honest about our weaknesses, then the greater love will grow amongst us. We can only be honest about our weaknesses, though, if we feel we are loved by others. We can only feel loved when we experience it from another. This is why seeing Jesus as the source of love is so important because others at times will not show us love, but we're not loving based on them. We love based on our experience with him and he has loved all of us. If we loved as Jesus loved, regardless of anyone else, it would open and strengthen the community. And so two things to think about within this. The first one is this. Who is someone you can show love toward with no strings attached? Who is somebody you can show love toward with no strings attached? Figuring out a way that they genuinely need 
and experience love and show them love in that way. Now, it's important, the distinction here. I'm sure not maybe everybody, but many of you have heard of the five love languages. This book has been around forever, it seems. And you can maybe identify if you're a person who is more about quality time or physical touch, acts of service, giving and receiving gifts, words of affirmation. The whole idea of this is that when we identify our love language, we understand how we most feel love. When we can understand another's love language, we can know how to best love them. Ashley Fetters, in a 2019 Atlantic article, she said this about the love languages. Today, people often trot out their self-identified love languages as shorthand to indicate how they behave in relationships. In the same casual and convenient way, they might refer to their astrological sign or Myers-Briggs type or Enneagram type or Hogwarts house. This is who I am. This is how I act. This is how I interact with people. This is me. And again, you might not connect with the love languages thing. Enneagram is huge, or we probably have a lot of Hogwarts house people in here as well. We see how we are, and that's important. But here's the really insightful thing that she says that we need to realize. This self-focused way of discussing love languages is very different from what the concept's inventor seems to have intended. As the idea has grown ever more ingrained in the popular consciousness, Chapman's consistent urging toward learning other people's love languages and modifying one's own behavior accordingly has, be, has been de-emphasized. The idea of learning how another person is loved is getting voted off the, ta- off the island. Just seeing how I am is the, more, the majority of thing embraced. In its place has emerged a notion that the point of knowing your love language is to find a partner with the same one or to request that others learn to speak it. And as a result, at least according to some researchers, the real value of love languages as a relationship tool may be getting lost as a large-scale cultural game of telephone. Because we're not using them and talking about them in the way they're intended, the meaning gets as morphed and changed as if we were playing telephone with one another. This is really important to consider because to love somebody sacrificially is to love them as they receive love regardless of how we receive love. To adapt our manner or expression of love to who a person is and how they best receive love is the practical epitome of laying down yourself for your friends. And so as you think about people in your life, how can you love somebody as they need to be loved? How can you encourage them where they're at? And that takes time. That takes understanding. That takes removing myself and focusing on them. But the people in your circle of influence need you to do that. So think about that. Who is somebody that you can show love toward with no strings attached? And you know why I said no strings attached? It's because typically the attachment is us. We lead with us. We prioritize us. 
rather than how do I love this person? And so who is somebody that you can do that to? The second thing to think about with this part of the passage is, who is somebody you need to be open with so that they can love you in your weakness? Who is somebody you can be open and have courage to share with so that they can love you in your weakness? Not sharing with somebody to be judged or fixed or molded, but sharing to be reminded of God's love for you, to be reminded of the joy and the peace and the forgiveness, the life that he gives you. John talks about this in another one of his writings in the New Testament where he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And there's a reality that when we are truly loving one another, it will remove the fear that causes us not to want to be connected. We people need to experience love. And you need to be reminded of God's love for you, God's perfect love for you, his perfect presence for you that you don't have to earn and you don't can't lose. You need to be reminded of that so that fear is driven out of your heart so that you can share with somebody what you're experiencing. This is really what Henry Now was getting at when he said this. Perhaps the best definition of revelation is the uncovering of the truth that it is safe to love. The walls of our anxiety, of our anguish, our narrowness are broken down and a wide, endless horizon is shown. We have to love because he loved us first. It is safe to embrace in vulnerability because we both find ourselves in loving hands. It is safe to be available because someone told us that we stand on solid ground. Excuse me. It is safe to surrender because we will not fall into a dark pit but enter a welcoming home. It is safe to be weak because we are surrounded by a creative strength. This is the interaction we need to have with one another. We need someone to remind us that it is not their loving hands that we rest in, but that we both rest in Jesus' hands. We need someone to remind us that they are not the foundation we stand on, but Jesus is the solid ground that we all stand on and that we are built on. We need someone who will lovingly listen and lovingly point us to Jesus. And so there is something in you. Who can you share that with so that they can remind you of Jesus' love for you? Who is someone that you need to show that love toward. Remain in his love sacrificially. And then quickly to close, the last one is to remain in his love generously. Remain in his love generously. We are entrusted with sharing his love. We are entrusted with sharing Jesus' love. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. It is important for us to realize 
how important it is that we show love toward one another. Because those who have not experienced God's love are going to see it in us. And we need to show them that love for what it really is. When we generously love one another, it will overflow into the world around us and people will experience the love of God. They will see and experience the love that God has toward them. But we have to realize they will see us in how we love one another through the difficulties, through the conflict, through the struggles, through the hard times, through the valleys. That's the reality of this. When people see, man, to be able to talk to somebody who doesn't know the love of God about how love was expressed between different believers. Yeah, this was going on, and this trial was happening, and this was going on, but we worked it out. We were gracious with one another. We talked it through. We were there for one another. We carried one another through. That shows them what love is like, and it is counter to the world around us. Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving one another like this during the difficult times is countercultural. Because in our world, if somebody messes up or doesn't say the right thing or fails or doesn't make somebody happy, cut it off, cancel, no more, fire them. And yes, there are moments when that is necessary. But as far as the relationships that we have one another, that is the farthest thing from the love of God that there can be. We can't cancel or cut off one another when it's hard. We have to move toward one another in love so that the world can see that love in action. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let our, his light shine through us in the darkest of times, even the dark times that we might have with one another. Remain in his love generously. We are entrusted, chosen by God to represent him. And we show his love when we're faithful and generous with love, even in the hardest of times. We have to remain in his love. We have to remain in his love faithfully, sacrificially, and generously. They're out of order there, I apologize. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Maybe you're at home listening today. Maybe you're here today. And the idea of remaining in Jesus' love, you have not entered his love. He loves you. He loved you enough to go to the cross and die for not only your sins but mine and the entire world, that which causes the brokenness and hurt that we see in the world. He went to the cross to die for that, to win the victory over sin, to win the victory over death, and then rose three days, conquering those things to invite us into a new way of life, a new resurrected life. And that's the life that we long for. It's the life we can't find in ourselves or anything in the world or in any person on the planet. It's only found in him. And so you need to put your trust in Jesus to enter that life to identify with him, the allegiance of your heart toward him, giving your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that, that needs to happen today. 
And so you, if you have questions about that, what does that mean? What about processing that? We would love to be able to help you. I would love to be able to talk with you about that. We have people that would lo- who have been in that place and understand, okay, now what? And we would love to come alongside you. See me after service. If you're watching at home, the QR code in the bottom left-hand corner, scan that and fill out the part that says need help, need prayer. But if God is tugging on your heart within that, yeah, well, yeah, but what about? Don't ignore that. That is Jesus prompting your heart right now. If he's calling to you and you, uh, you don't reject that, don't ignore that. Come to him. If you are following Jesus, you are in his love, then who do you need to show that love to? And who do you need to let them show you the love of Jesus? We have to not wander. We have to stay with him because there is no better place to be. Let's pray. God, again, we are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for the relationship that you want, that you desire, you pursue, you make happen. God, I pray that those who do not know you that aren't in that relationship, that today would be the day it begins. Today would be the day that they find life. For those who are, God, I pray that you would draw us to you, that you would strengthen us. I pray, God, that you would give us the wisdom and the courage and the words and the compassion that we need to engage with one another. Make us strong in you. In your name, amen. There's one part of that last phrase. It says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You know, that we can misunderstand that. That's not like a shopping spree verse. Like, ask, oh, Xbox, I want the new one. Boing, you know, God puts it on your porch with a bow. No, this is in the context of loving one another. And if loving one another is hard, God is going to give you what you need to love one another. And so if we need understanding, if we need empathy, if we need words, if we need wisdom, if we need strength, if we need courage, if we ask him for what we need, if we ask him for what, how to get through the difficulty, God promises us to give us that. And so as you think through who to love or who to let you love, if it's hard, ask God to give you what you need. And think about that as we do this last song, as we praise him for the fact that he is what we need, everything that we need, and that we can be with him. And so if you stand with us, we're going to do this last song.